0: Hi, this is Beth AQ, and this is the podcast of the Glasshouse, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R each Wednesday. The Glasshouse is a space for spoken word artists, poets, sound makers, audio storytellers, emerging cultural leaders, thinkers, writers, and anyone who celebrates story as a means of self-expression, self-representation, and community building. I hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch via Twitter at Bethany AQ or the Triple R website. You're listening to The Glass House on Triple R. My name is Beck. I'm filling in for Beth AQ this week. I'm broadcasting from stolen Wurundjeri land. I'd like to pay my respect to Wurundjeri elders, the traditional owners of this place, past, present, and future. Going to be talking to Carla Gotkins, who's an artist and they're part of the Flinders Quarter Augmented Art Walk. Also, going to be speaking to Brooke Powell, who is the director of the Yarra Valley Writers Festival. And as well, I've got three interviews today. Very exciting. A lot to, uh, to fit in. To this hour'm gonna also be speaking to Lakshmi who's one of the co-hosts of an RMI TV and channel thirty one show called the Leak. that's all coming up this hour on the Glass house and Trivalla my name's Beck filling in for Beth aQ for the next few weeks on the show and I'm gonna be talking to Artist Carla Gotchens, who is part of the Flinders Quarter Augmented Art Walk, which is running now in the CBD. It's running until July 16th. Hey, Carla, thanks so much for uh, chatting to me on the Glasshouse.
1: Hi, Beck. Happy to be
0: here. Yeah, great. Great to talk to you. Um, wrangling the tech here. Uh, but I'm really glad, really glad I've got you uh, got you connected. Um, so, so your piece, The Guardians, is part of the Flinders Quarter augmented art walk. Could you tell me about your
1: piece? Yeah, sure. Uh, so the. Metro Tunnel Creative Program, which curated this this entire exhibition of augmented works, approached a number of artists from their artist pool uh, to come forward either with pre-existing work or new work that could then be altered with the augmented reality. So The Guardians was actually a piece that I had uh, exhibited back in 2014 at Sculpture by the Sea in Bondi, of all places. And it was meant to be uh, installed on the stair risers on one of the stairwells uh, that leads from the walkway down to the beach at Bondi. And I thought that that one would be perfect for this because it would make the guardians, which are these... Not so scary, but uh weird sort of creatures emerge out of the stairwell in that in for that particular art art installation, and I felt that that would work really nicely with this one where the theme was about discovery, and I guess for the overall theme that they asked for was to create something that people, I guess, could stumble across and find in little nooks and crannies around the Flinders' Quarter walk. So The Guardians, for me, I love that idea of um, drawing on old Brothers Grimm tales and the scary things that you find under the bed or in the closet. And so The the Guardians, for me, um, this was a perfect opportunity for them to come to life, really, with the augmented application through iJack.
0: I'm reading um, in the description to the Guardians, they're, they're described as protectors or voyeurs who hide in secret places. They're easy to miss but not easily forgotten. So um, where, where are they hiding in, in, uh, in the, this Flinders Quarter
1: iteration of the work? Yeah, uh, so they're actually hiding in a bookcase, and the work my particular piece is installed next to uh, Madeline's which is a gift store which is on DeGrave Street and I was allocated a marble column so there are uh, it's it's a little bit hard to explain visually but it there are three kind of segments of this marble column that form the outside of uh, one of that particular shop's uh, doorways and I wanted each of the guardians to kind of peer out through the cracks of the marble, and it was quite a process to work out exactly how the augmented reality would work, what they needed to be what they call a trigger image, and then we actually did a little bit of a backflip with the, with the piece and ended up having to create the bookcase as it, as it is uh, so that the guardians could appear out of that. Otherwise, with the augmented reality, it relies very heavily on having what they call a really strong contrasty trigger image and just using the marble itself wasn't strong enough to activate the application. It would it would absolutely make sense if you were down there looking at it, but um, just trying to explain that, I guess I have a photographic background and I, I totally got what the, where they were coming from and why the first part of it didn't work. So this was, you know, a really nice collaboration between all of the artists and the animators with iJack about what works, what doesn't work. How can we make this uh i guess really pop out for the the people going around and seeking each of the different artworks
0: mm yeah so i should I should take a step back maybe and and describe for people who aren't um familiar with the augmented artwork that's happening at the moment um there are pieces by a number of different artists, yourself, Carla Gotchins, but also Stanislava Pinchuk, United Make, Anton Hassel, D. Smart, Anne Ryan, Sue Bayer, um, Sonia Kretschmer, among among others. Um, and so these um, works by these artists have been installed in the CBD, um, in uh, sort of near, near Flinders Street in the CBD and... Um, and so, if you were um, sort of travelling to the CBD in order to experience these works, you might sort of seek them out. But if someone wasn't seeking them out, would they still kind
1: of see something um, to to maybe spark their curiosity? Yeah, they would definitely see something. They would see, uh, in most cases, the, um, the the trigger image is, as they call it, is a self adhesive vinyl poster that is stuck to various. Uh, facades around the Melbourne, uh, the Flinders Quarter Walk, and some of them might just appear like a pretty picture, like a little like a graphic, cartoony sort of thing. My one looks literally like three bookshelf shelves. Uh, other ones look a little bit more like a a finished artwork. But then, when you do actually place the your uh, your smartphone in front of it and activate the app, they then come up they then come to life. So. Yes, you absolutely see something, but you may be quite curious as to what it is. So some of them would have might even appear um, yeah, really, really, really subtle uh, until you actually activate the the uh, the iJack a- application.
0: Mm, and so iJack is the um, smartphone um, app that people can download, and they can use this iJack app to to um, sort of make these images uh well literally augment <laughs> augment their reality and I, I was curious about this this idea of augmented reality because you know um a still image uh can augment your reality um uh, art in in Absolutely. many different forms you know <laughs> can have a really profound augmentation of of one's experience, but then thinking about the the tech side of things of of augmented reality and using our our smartphone cameras um the images can become animated. They can move around. Um, and and then these these artworks kind of become then embedded in your moving um,
1: world, yeah, which is kind of magical. <laughs> it is. And, and I guess you don't actually have to look too far back in time when, when you would look at a portrait and you could swear that the eyes were actually following you. So you're totally right, like a still... Uh, artwork of any description from you know hundreds of years ago kind of had that I guess that ability to appear as though it was moving or to augment your reality but this is I guess taking it that one step further and things can actually jump off the canvas and move around and outside of the traditional picture frame and that's what you will see when you're using the iJack app.
0: Mm, And so when you experience your work the Guardians, and when you're working with the developers that um, kind of produce this this augmented reality version, how does it feel for you to, to see a, a work of yours um, come alive in these ways?
1: Well, it's it's absolutely fascinating. Um, I guess you you have an idea. They they asked all of us independently what we wanted to happen to our artworks, and for me. I wanted the guardians to come alive and appear as though they were coming out of the the stonework or the bookcase, and almost becoming a threat, but not quite. They're not they're not quite scary enough to become a threat, but they're definitely there. And that working with the developers and the animators, I had uh, quite a, a close. I guess, communication with my animator who was working on my piece and we would go backwards and forwards, whereas some of the other artists really just gave their artwork and didn't have a one-on-one connection with their animator, possibly because they knew exactly what they wanted or they didn't know what they wanted and they left it into the hands of the animator. So there was quite a different kind of relationship and process for each of the artists involved in this particular exhibition.
0: Mm. Um, so I haven't uh, been able to experience these works yet, but I'm really looking forward to to heading into the CBD. Um, I know that the the Art Walk was sort of paused with the COVID lockdowns but has reopened and and it will be um live and running until July 16th so that's next Friday so I've got a week to oh, a bit a bit over a week to to head into the city and experience this Flinders Quarter augmented reality Art walk. Um, Carla Gotchens, thank you so much for joining me on The Glass House. I'm, I'm really looking forward to experiencing your work, The Guardians, uh, in person and as well as on the screen. Thanks so much, Beck. Thank you. Cheers. This is a podcast from Triple
2: R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos, and interviews, Head to the triple R website at rrr.org.au. You're
0: listening to The Glasshouse on Triple R. My name's Beck. Filling in for Beth AQ this week and for the next couple of weeks as well. And next weekend, the Yarra Valley Writers Festival in its second year is on in Warburton. It'll be uh it will be in Warburton but it'll also be on your computer if you'd prefer to uh join virtually online and I'm chatting now to Brooke Powell who's the director of the Yarra Valley Writers Festival. Hey Brooke. Hi Beck, how are you? I'm great. I'm uh Thanks. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. It's great to talk to you. Um and I'm sort of dreaming about traveling, traveling up, up into the upper reaches of Birrarung, the Yarra River um, Mm. to, to be sort of in the Yarra Valley and visiting, visiting some of my favorite places up around um, Warburton, which is where you're calling from as well. You're, you're in, um, where are you calling from?
3: So where the office is actually based in launching place which is just down the road from Warburton so we're definitely in that upper Yarra uh, precinct so to speak uh, and we we love Warburton I've only lived in the Yarra Valley or only she says like about 17 years now but it feels, uh, yeah. like, <laughs> it feels like a minute yeah and and Warburton has never lost its charm I just I lived in Hillsville originally and used to go over to Warburton and it felt like a holiday just even going from Hillsville over to Warburton and I it's those mountains and that river and the village kind of without being quaint I don't mean that it's like it's just got this beautiful mountain township feel and Mm. it's quite special and you feel quite held in nature out there without you know
0: there's something about sort of the the mist or the the waters mm. kind of rising up from the river and the greenery up there. It's really, yes. really special. It is, it is. So that's
3: why we because we last year we were meant to do the writers' Festival in May, and that was going to be in Hillsville. But as with most things last year, it had to get uh, changed slightly and it became a completely online festival. Uh, which was great, and we learnt a lot, etc., etc., which I think is everybody's uh, sort of subtext of last year, isn't it? Of 2020. Well, I
0: learnt a lot. Mm. I can use
3: Zoom now. <laughs> <You> know, <it's...
0: laughs> but now um, I have to use Skype, so it's sort of, uh, you know, just throwing more technology at you.
3: <laughs> it's never ending. And this year, I guess, in the hope that we could do an in real life festival, is we. Like we really, we love the feel of Warburton, and just when I say a town, I wanted, I'd love to do a town takeover. I wanted, you know, I just wanted the whole town to be filled with people that love words and love conversations and like to share their ideas, and and also with that heightened feel of just a short amount of time that I think the festival vibe can sometimes be when, when you're only. In that space for a couple of days, people seem to get a little bit more easily into conversations that in your ordinary life might take a bit longer to venture into, I think. And and maybe there was part of me that just wanted to see Helen Garner walking along the street in Warburton as well. They could have <laughs> seen that.
0: And there are um, some festival events that that will, for people who choose to uh, visit physically, um, there are some events that will encourage them to be, uh, you know, Exploring the the local ecosystems through the sort mm. of a, a walk with Mayor Ward along okay. along the river. There's also a a birding um a birding adventure with okay. Sean Dooley. Um, how about for people who, who can't get there physically or or choose to to experience the festival from home? How how might they um get some of that visiting experience?
3: So with the virtual program, after last year doing the curated program, we've decided to stick with that concept. So we've got a curated program on the Saturday and then there's another one on the Sunday, or you can buy a weekend ticket. But um, so unlike other festivals where you buy a ticket to your talk and then you come back and you, you buy it talk by talk, which is a great idea, except that we're in the country and to me, the place is so important for the for the festival. Like it's really, it is. It, it, it has to seep through the conversations where we are. So, what we're doing is with those curated programs. We're also uh, tomorrow. I'm out videoing uh, Sean doing a bird walk and a talk. So people will actually be able to participate to wit uh, a walk and talk. Really between sessions, even sitting in their own lounge room. And we've got um, interviews happening with local historians and local personalities and then there's in terms of the the fairly new people to Warburton but what they've done with this incredible architecture that exists there from over the years. So uh, uh, Richard that's transformed a beautiful 1960s motel, we're going to talk to him about why he he chose that motel and why he chose Warburton of all the places in the world. His father, I think, was one of the first people to have a motel down in Tasmania, So, but he came to Warburton. And Sandy and um, Mark, who transformed the old Masonic Lodge into the now iconic 3488, and now we've got some new people that are just doing the most extraordinary transformation of the Alpine Hotel. But they're not transforming it into something other than what The bones of the place would be like with the alpine as an example it won't be ready for the festival um a lot of it will be but what they're actually they've got in mind is they're having the carpet from upstairs they've taken the pattern of the original carpet and having it remade to match what it was originally done and they're actually taking away some of the renovations that have happened over the years and taking that building back to what it was originally the design originally was so they're actually celebrating these buildings and and I think that's it's a really important aspect of sort of a revitalization or or just a vital you know keeping a place vital is to be very mindful of you know what the bones of a town are as well. And I think that's what—that's why I wanted to celebrate these people as well, throughout the session. So so I guess that was my very long answer to a very simple question <laughs> of, if people do jump on virtually, they will also get, um, they'll get videos and interviews and they'll have some live spots of what is actually going on in the town. So they will always be brought back to place. They might even end up on a mountain bike you know going over the hills and or up to Mount Donabuang and th- you know moments like that because yeah that is important that people know where these conversations are happening
0: yeah and in terms of connecting with place um auntie joy wanden is also involved um mm. she'll be speaking on the opening night as part of yes. an event called resetting our compass so there's a, there's a lot of different um ways I think it's, it seems, at least from from uh, the the uh, trawling through the website that I've done, it seems like there's a lot of different ways that um, you and and attendees will be able to connect connect to place. Um, and I'm wondering as well. Uh, you know, you mentioned the the past year and everything that's that has been thrown at us um, with with COVID um, and and the impacts that that has had on on the first year of the festival, and then the way that's moving into the second year. I'm wondering about the um, the theme of the festival, um, which seems very related. It's um, mm. resilience, resilience, what is it good for, is the the um, theme uh, across across all the events. I wonder if you could speak to that. Sure.
3: Uh, look, at the time of choosing the word or the theme of resilience, it was almost done in a way out of a sense of protection of the word because... I think there was a time last year where I noticed that, you know, uh, there was probably leaders and people with a certain amount of privilege and um, influence uh, suggesting that if people were just a bit more resilient, and isn't this great, it builds our resilience. and Like let's and just I get just, on
0: with it sort of a thing.
3: That's right. Yeah. Like so if, you know, if you know what's good for you, just, you know, get on with it and keep going. We're all in the same boat and that sort of stoicness and, and sense that everyone can just get on with it and i I mean I obviously I love words with you know it's a writer's festival, but I also am very aware of how they can be weaponized almost and used um, to not uplift to the opposite and so that's why with the program, what we really wanted to discuss and we didn't we, we haven't gone for a lot of the really big Obvious stories of resilience, because I think sometimes even them they're sometimes overwhelming or they just seem unrelatable. But it's there's a lot of thought has been put into how the conversations can speak to the everyday resilience that people have needed to utilize to just to get through their lives, or you know, or that they need daily now just to cope with the changes that have come about, and then of course. There's also some magnificent changes and some things that have happened that really are, you know, incredibly positive and inspiring. But I didn't want it to sit just in the inspirational column. I wanted Mm. to acknowledge that some people have been resilient for generations and it just might not look that special or spectacular to someone that comes from quite a privileged position.
0: You, you say in the description of the festival that um, true resilience can often sit in the small, repeated acts of survival, sort of um, everyday, uh, small, quiet resilience, perhaps. Mm. Um, so if people do uh, want to head along to the Yarra Valley Writers' Festival, um, they can do so by heading to your website, com. Director of the festival, Brooke Powell. Thanks so much for, for chatting to me on the Glasshouse today and, and best of luck with it. I, ho- I hope to see you uh, by the river.
3: Oh, yes. Thanks so much for having me on, Beck. I really appreciate it. And yes, I hope I see you by the river too. That Great. would
0: be terrific. <laughs> Thanks, Brooke. Thank you.
2: You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R, exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more.
0: To listen, hit up the triple R website or your favorite podcast platform. My name is Beck, filling in for Beth AQ this week and for the next couple of weeks. Now, there's a TV show called The Leak, which is produced at RMI TV and broadcast on Channel 31. Um, and they're now in their ninth season. Of that show. Um, And one of the hosts, Lakshmi Ganapathy, is uh, hopefully with me here. Hey, Lakshmi. Hello. Hi. Hi. I'm so glad that we've got this uh, call connected. You've been very patient with my tech wrangling skills, so thank you. (laughs) No problem. Um, Now, speaking of tech wrangling... Um, I'm really just so in awe of people who do TV and video production. Um, it's, it just blows my mind. There's, there's just so much going on. Um, so can you tell me a bit about how a TV show like The Leak comes together every week?
2: Thank you. I mean, as the host, I'd probably do the least amount of work um, compared to all of the people that are behind the scenes, everyone from audio to uh, cameras to the post-production team. So um, I guess I'll go through what like an average week looks like. So um, normally on Monday evenings, we have a writer's room. So we have one for each episode. So say the episode is about, you know, the Olympics, um, we'll sort of have a chat about like, what sort of things to write about in the episode um, and, you know, what we can sort of cover in each of our segments, what we're going to do for the uh, little sketch at the end. um, And then we go away and over the week we write that and then – yeah there's a bit of the finalization process process through the week where it goes through the story editor and all of the um the director and everything sort of sign up sign off on it and then on Friday Friday is our big day for filming um yeah um I guess the, um, the crew sort of show up at like three o'clock and they set up, you know, the set and they put all the cameras together and everything. Um, and then we, the hosts sort of just bluster in at five, get our makeup done and then, um, sit there and read off the audio key. Really? (laughs) Um, yeah, so much of the work is done by the people behind the scenes. Um, and then, and then uh, it's actually not a live show. So it's filmed, and then it goes to post production, and it's edited together to be what you see on Channel Thirty One.
0: Yeah, and so it it's broadcast on Channel Thirty One on uh, Monday nights. Um, so if people do want to tune in, it's on. Um, just double checking, on um, Monday nights on Channel Thirty One at eight, 8 o'clock yes yeah yes, and then 8 um, channel 31 mondays yes. yeah <laughs> and then and then you can also stream it online after that broadcast as well um so how far in advance are you are you producing each episode you've got two two episodes now kind of under your belt from season nine which is the current season how many episodes ahead are you yeah um so we are
2: quite um far ahead obviously um because of the lockdown that happened recently um we fell a little bit behind but we were already about six there was a six week gap between us filming the first episode and it going out on air so um last week was the first episode um so six weeks before that probably the end of may i would like to say um was when we started filming um so yeah quite far in advance so a lot of stuff is a lot of work is done in the writer's room to make sure that everything kind of stays current because obviously things change um, yeah I was was curious about that yeah yeah um we try to write like obviously um dig into the topics that matter and you know find current examples but you know trying our best not to sort of give things that will go out of date by the time um it is in six weeks' time. Um, yeah, because at the lockdown we had – we lost two weeks, so now we, it's about a four-week gap. But it's still um, – yeah, there's still definitely a gap between when we film and when it goes out in air. But, yeah, I think that's
0: yeah, the so, nature so you, of any show. So. Yeah, I mean, are you sort of um, like trying to predict the future almost, like trying to go, <laughs> all right, if this gets broadcast in six weeks' time, what might people be um, interested in?
2: Yes and no. Um so we try to keep a sort of broad um so I guess timeless look at things. So for example the Olympics. When we were writing about the Olympics we didn't know um at that stage if it was going to go through or not. Um it only got announced in about uh, June sometime I think that they confirmed it was going to um go on. Um so we it, rather than sort of try to answer the question of um whether it's going on or not um we sort of go hy- hypothesize, I guess, um, if it went on, what would happen if it didn't, what would happen? Um, so yeah, keeping a sort of timeless, uh, perspective because a lot of issues have, um, yeah, enough material to be able to just sort of talk broadly, um, about them in that way.
0: Mm. And so, so you and your co-host, Marie Kelly, you're, I'm wondering like what, um, when you're sort of reading, reading the teleprompter and looking at the camera, like what, what kind of audience are you, are you keeping in your mind? Who, who is this show for?
2: yeah um so I mean part of the reason why and I, I guess what's different about this season of the leak it's um very much a departure from the typical style of the leak um the leak's been obviously running for nine seasons and normally it's um a sort of more formal panel sort of um satirical show whereas this one I guess we've gone with the sort of premise of a house and we're housemates and we're um sort of just chatting about the issues and it really I guess brings um A sort of you know home perspective and uh, a sort of more relaxed sort of perspective on a lot of these really big issues and I think it's appealing to um I guess young people because um yeah I, I think there is real sort of um amongst I guess my and our generation um we are very much switched on and we very much want to hear about all of these issues. And I guess sometimes if you see like traditional news and things like that, it gets a bit difficult to follow. Um, whereas we felt that by, um, approaching it with like a real sort of housemate fun sort of angle, um, and keeping it light and sort of, um, uh, I guess,
0: um, yeah, approachable. Um,
2: that, well, as well know, as
0: just kind of be, covering. Oh, so, sorry. Sorry, it would. Yeah, it would appeal
2: to young people, and I guess yeah, um, that's where we're sort of coming from.
0: Yeah, and. Um and thinking about sort of the, the types of things that you cover on the show, um, obviously uh, this this show um, it's a community TV show. It's on um, Channel Thirty One, a station that just recently got a three year extension to their license. After it's just sort of continual threats to to Channel Thirty One being able to broadcast on free to air. So it feels like um, it feels like it's really important and really rare f- um, to to have a TV show like this um, for you to be able to cover topics that you care about for you to have so much control over the content for you to have opportunities to learn about all the different aspects of putting together um, a TV show Um, yeah it's a really compelling kind of project.
2: Absolutely, And yeah, I'm so passionate about, like, community TV as, like, a training ground for the people, you know, um, coming next in the industry and I guess, um, you know, serving a lot of groups that you don't really see on TV, like marginalised communities, um, different cultures and different ethnicities. And, um, yeah, and, uh, yeah, one of the really good things about the leak is that um, this year we've made sure that um, I think every head of department is um, – I think, female or non-binary or something like that. Um, so, yeah, we're really, really making a sort of effort and I guess um, that's what's good about community TV and TV at this level is including people and, I guess, giving people um, the chance to sort of train and um, get it, get the sort of skills to go into the industry um, who – don't, you don't often see in the industry like I remember when I was growing up I never saw um so I'm Asian Australian I never saw any um, Asian Australians on TV and it was always really disheartening and I never felt like I could do anything um and now coming into the leak um you know there's so much diversity and um you know it's yeah so heartening that I guess um we're getting this sort of training at this level um and yeah hopefully we can sort of move into the industry
0: Lakshmi Ganapathy, you're one of the co-hosts of RMI TV's community TV show, The Leak, which is now in its ninth season. It's broadcasting every Monday night at eight o'clock on Channel 31, as well as streaming online after each broadcast. Like, Lakshmi, really appreciate you taking the time to, to chat to me on The Glass House. I'm really looking forward to the rest of the season. Thank you. Thank you so much. Cheers. My name's Beck. I'm going to be back next week and the week after filling in for Beth AQ for a couple more weeks. I want to say thank you so much to Carla Gotchens, Brooke Powell, and Lakshmi Ganapathy for talking to me on today's show. I will catch you next week on Triple R. This is Beth AQ. Thanks for listening to the podcast of the Glasshouse, House, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R each Wednesday. We hope you enjoyed the podcast, and feel free to get in touch via Twitter at Bethany AQ or the Triple R website.